0: This morning, I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the New Testament Scripture to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3, as was just read a moment ago. And by way of introduction, I would like to point you directly to the Scripture and walk us forward from the previous context to our primary text this morning, beginning in chapter 2, verse 12, Colossians Three is where we'll be for the balance of the morning, but back in Colossians 2, verse number 12, if your eyes will look there, we understand that through faith we have died and been raised with Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse number 1, therefore, since we have been raised with Christ, we are to seek those things which are above Chapter three, verse two, we are to set our minds on those things which are above. Chapter three, verse five, we are to put to death our sinful appetites. Verse eight, put off the sins of our old flesh. Verse 10, be renewed in the image of our creator. You say, okay, pastor, but all of that is abstract language. All of that is theology and philosophy. Give me something that I can see. Give me something that I can look at. What does the one who has died and been raised with Christ look like? How does that one behave in real life? Okay, verse number 12, chapter 3, verse 12. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, we then find the picture in verses 12 through 17. If your eyes are looking there, that's our study last week. You say, but I still don't get it. How does that work out in real life? How does that work out in my home or at the job? Make it practical for me. Okay? We aim to please. And so at long last, we have come now to Colossians 3, verse number 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. And in these verses, our scripture text this morning, Paul presents three case studies that illustrate the application of what we have learned to this point in this letter, three case studies in Colossians three verses eighteen through chapter four verse one that are three different categories of human relationship, and they are the marriage relationship, wives and husbands, the family relationship of children and parents, the employment relationship of servants and masters, and in each case. Paul gives us a mandate that's going to be subpoint letters A in your notes and gives us a motivation for a right relationship that's going to be subpoints letters B in your notes. And our text this morning gives us the principles to have right relationships with the people in our lives, and this is very practical. Let me pause for prayer, and then we'll look at the scripture. God in heaven We thank you for the cross of of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to remain always beneath the cross with our attention and our affection fixed upon Jesus Christ. I pray that you will help us toward that end. God, now as we come to this portion of scripture, our appeal, our request, our ask is that this might be practical so that we might live in right relationship with one another. I pray, God, that your spirit would teach us, instruct us, convict us, and change us because of our study just now. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we begin with a right marriage relationship and a word to the wives. A word to the wives. Verse number 18, Colossians 3 verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The mandate is this, wives submit to your husbands. Paul wrote a similar exhortation to the wives in Ephesus. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for as the husband is the head of the wife so also Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. Therefore just as the church is subject to Christ wives should be to their own husbands in everything. Now Some would argue that Paul's teaching on this theme is not spirit-inspired, but rather it's his own chauvinistic rabbinic attitude toward women. Others would argue that Paul's teaching here was a a cultural issue at the time, not relevant to our modern society. Many would dismiss this Bible mandate as old-fashioned, outdated, as oppressive to women, but the word that Paul used here in Colossians as well as to the Ephesians was the word hupatasso, which means submission, not slavery. And it means to arrange under rank, and it was often used to designate positions of authority and responsibility in the military. It was a point of order. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul explained that this order was not a matter of some cultural construct, but it was sourced in the creation of. Of Adam and Eve, the creation order of Adam and Eve. Adam was created first and then Eve. You see, ontologically, that is in essence, men and women are created equally in the image of God, Genesis chapter 3, then are recreated equally in salvation because Jesus Christ is all in all, Colossians 3, verse number 11. At the same time, economically, that's in function, men and women have different roles and responsibilities which God has ordained, some of them being very plain and clear to us in the composition of our bodies biologically, Furthermore, the word submit there in Colossians 3 verse 18 is in the middle voice. It means that the wife is to submit herself. We could most literally translate verse 18. Wives, you yourselves submit yourselves. Nowhere in the scripture does the Bible call men or husbands to demand that their wives submit. This is her mandate not his mandates. And wives, you submit to your own husbands, the men of whom you have a personal, intimate, vital relationship, not to someone else's husband or some stranger across town. But admittedly, when we're talking about submission, these things are difficult for us. And if there is relationship that is lacking, submission is more difficult. But nonetheless, the the instruction was given, wives, submit to your husbands. The motivation is this. It's an obligation to the Lord. Literally, this is your duty to the Lord. This is appropriate in your relationship to the Lord. It's your spiritual responsibility. Not so much to your husband as much as to the Lord. I've had women concede. To me at times, Pastor if it keeps peace in the family, I'll submit to my husband. That's not the point. It's a spiritual discipline that you do before the Lord. Of course, to have a right marriage relationship there there are two participants. There's the wife and then there's the a husband, of course. Verse number 19, husbands love your wives, do not be bitter toward them. And Paul wrote similarly to the husbands in Ephesus, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. The mandate men is to love your wives. And this mandate is in the present imperative demanding continuous action. This love is a love of choice. It's a covenant kind of love that keeps on loving regardless of the circumstances. And so husbands, this morning I might remind you of your marriage vows. They went something like this. I, John, take you, Jane, to be my wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. And as according to God's holy plan, I give you my love. And scripture then demands that we husbands continually and continuously keep that vow. And the picture of our love for our wives' husbands is to reflect the love that Christ had for his bride, the church. You say, but what does that look like? Okay, go to First Corinthians 13, not just now, but First Corinthians 13 explains what that love looks like. Or we could also turn and consider Ephesians chapter 5. I have it for you here on the screen. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is a sacrificial love. That he might sanctify her having cleansed her with washing of water by the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and blameless. That is a purifying love. A sacrificial love. A purifying love. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. That's a caring love. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's an unbreakable love. Husbands, love your wives. The the story is told of a, a couple who had been married for 15 years. And they began having more than the usual disagreements. And they wanted to make their marriage work, and they agreed on an idea suggested to them. For one month, they planned to drop a slip of paper into a fault Box for each of them. The boxes would provide a place to let the other know about daily irritations. The wife was diligent in her efforts and approach, doing exactly what she was to do. She filled his fault box with slips of paper that described personal irritations. Leaving the jelly top off the jar, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, on and on until the end of the month. After dinner, at the end of the month, they exchanged boxes, and the husband reflected on what he had done. Then the wife opened her box and began reading the slips of paper. They all read the same. The message on each slip was, I love you, I love you, I love you. Husbands, if you come to me and you accuse your wife of not submitting to you, do you know what I'll do? I'll charge you with not loving. Because a wife's submission is not the first issue, but first and foremost, the necessity of a husband to love as Christ loved the church. You see, the church doesn't submit to Christ as the church ought to, but Christ still loves in a big way. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Read um, 1 Corinthians 13 and and you'll find 15 demonstrations of love there in that chapter. They're all verbs and they all point to action. I believe there are eight negative, negative actions telling us how love does not behave. There are seven positive actions telling us how love does behave. And if you love your wife as you ought, I propose, men, that submission For your wife will take care of itself. And a right marriage relationship, husbands, demands that you love. You say, but Pastor Matt, you have no idea what my wife is like. Okay, I don't have any idea what your wife is like, but God does. And he has still given us these instructions. You know why, men? Because we have no idea what we are like. Love your wives. And the motivation for a husband to to love his wife, it's not explicitly stated here in Colossians 3, but it's found clearly in Ephesians 5. The motivation for loving your wife, men, is this. It's because it pictures Christ's love for us. Christ's love for us. And your marriage ought to be a reflection of that great mystery relationship of the church as the bride of Christ. A right marriage relationship. But quickly, we continue. How about a right family relationship? A right family relationship begins in verse 20 with children. Children obey your parents in all things for this is well pleasing to the Lord. The mandate is obey mom and dad and and in this case now I'm speaking to our youth. The necessity of a child to obey his parents is a recurring mandate throughout the scriptures beginning all the way back in the ten commandments honor your father and mother that your days may be long. Proverbs repeatedly tells children to listen to a parent's instruction. The New Testament describes disobedience to parents as a mark of the ungodly. And and the term children or child here, it's it's not limited to a specific age group, but it refers, I, I believe, to any child living in a home under parental guidance and care, and the mandate is to obey. So children, this morning, listen to me. Obey mom and dad, even when you don't understand. Obey mom and dad, even when you disagree Obey mom and dad even when it doesn't seem fair. Obedience is tough. I know it's tough because you have the strictest parents in the whole world who never let you do everything and always make you do everything, right? Obey mom and dad. It's right. Your motivation is this. It's well-pleasing to the Lord. So once again, children or youth, teenagers, your obedience is not just a solution for harmony in the home. Just to survive but rather it's a spiritual discipline to please the Lord. If you want God's blessing on your life then honor and obey your mom and dad. You say but Pastor Matt my mom and dad unless they are clearly violating scripture you can't go wrong in obeying them for it's pleasing to God. But there's a second part in the family relationship right? And, And that's of course parents. Parents, verse number 21, fathers, do not provoke your children. This could be translated parents as it is in Hebrews 11, verse 23. Fathers or parents, uh, verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The mandate is don't provoke your children. Now, I think the spirit of this command is that we not stir up, irritate, or exasperate our kids. Amen, young people? Anybody? See, you're all mad at me right now, aren't you, children? Children can say amen at Fourth Baptist Church if you you need to, but don't provoke your parents. I'm I'm sorry, your children. (laughs) Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? It just, I'm talking to you right down here, all right. All right, the mandate, don't provoke your children. And let, me, let me mention some ways, parents, in which we exasperate our children, and children, this is when you can agree with me and say amen. I, I've jotted down a few areas of excess or abuse, perhaps. Uh, you can come up with others, I'm sure, that we're guilty of. There's, there's no room in your notes on the front side, but th- perhaps on the, the back side, you want to jot these down. Parents, uh, how about this? Number one, how about overprotection? We strangle and smother our children unnecessarily. Number two, lack of boundaries. This is the opposite. There's no rules. There's no boundaries. There's no consequences. Run free, whatever. How about favoritism? Comparing a a child unfavorably to his or her siblings. How about unrealistic goals or expectations that can never be achieved? You're a morel. And morels get straight A's in school. How about withholding needed affection? You're a morel, and morels don't cry. Be tough. Well, you know what? Morels cry. And sometimes we need a hug. Not providing or helping our children, making them fend for themselves or pay for themselves or figure it out themselves. Criticism instead of loving correction number 8 neglect or indifference instead of loving affirmation number 9 excessive or abusive discipline and if you if you can pass on these 9 how about this i think parents we all frustrate our children with inconsistencies And the motivation that we ought to have as moms and dads in our Christian home is not to discourage our children. Verse 21. And so the motivation would be this. Lest they become discouraged. I think the idea is to stop nagging our kids lest they lose heart. It's tricky. It's like trying to break a wild stallion without destroying his spirit. I have something here that I'd like to read for you. I think it it describes the danger that we as parents face in violating the mandate here of Colossians 3, verse 21. It's called 70 Sayings of a Parent. And you need to listen fast because I'm going to read fast. And if you start laughing, I'll know that you're guilty of some of these sayings in your home. All right? The 70 Sayings of a Parent. Are you ready? Here we go. You'd better change your tune pretty quickly or you're out of here. I mean it. Do you understand me? Don't shake your head at me. Don't mumble at me. You act as if the world owes you a living. You got a chip on your shoulder. You're not going anywhere looking like that. You're crazy if you think you are. If you think you are, just try me. I don't know what's wrong with you. I've never seen a kid act like you. Other kids don't pull stuff like that. I was never like that when I was your age. What kind of example do you think you you are to your brothers and sisters? Sit up straight. Don't slouch. Keep your hands to yourself. You're going to get it when we get home. Would you like a spanking? if you'd like a spanking just tell me right now and we'll get this thing over with you're cruising for a bruise, and don't talk to your mother like that do you know who I am? I'm your father that's who I am I brought you into this world and I can take you out (laughs) (laughs) as long as you're in my house under my roof putting your feet under my table you'll do as I say you act as if the rules don't apply to you well I'm here to tell you they do are you blind? you walk around like you're in a day something better change and change fast you're driving your mother to an early grave this is a family vacation and you're going to have fun whether you like it or not (laughs) (laughs) take some responsibility pull your own weight don't expect people to pick up after you and don't ask me for money do you think I've made of money do you think money grows on trees around here you'd better wake up and I don't mean maybe I mean we've given you everything we possibly could food on the table a roof over your head things we never had when we were your age (laughs) do you think I'm crazy or something I said, stop it, and I mean now. How many times do I have to tell you not to do that? If you hurt yourself, don't come running to me. You'd better wipe that smirk off your face or I'll wipe it off for you. What were you thinking? Don't talk when I'm talking to you. Answer me when I'm talking to you. (laughs) Do you think I was born yesterday? What time do you think it is? You should have called. You treat us like we don't exist. That's no excuse. If he jumped in a lake, would you jump in a lake too? If he jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? I've had it. You're grounded. I don't have to put up with this another minute. You're crazy if you think I am. If you think I am, just try me. Don't look at me when I'm like that when I'm talking to you. Look at me when I'm talking to you. And please don't make me say this again, right? <sighs> Seventy sayings of a parent. Is it under any wonder that maybe our, our children are discouraged? Moms and dads, God has equipped you to raise your children as you ought. None of us are perfect parents. None of our children are perfect children, including the Morel children. But by God's grace, we can have a right relationship at home. Because we have died and been raised with Christ. We're different than the world. Finally, a a right employment relationship. Perhaps the husband, wife, or parent, child didn't apply specifically to you, but I think probably most all of us have had an employment relationship beginning uh, with the category of servants. Beginning in verse 22, bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye servant as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. The New Testament never advocates human ownership or slavery, but it does recognize it as an element of society that could still enjoy a right relationship if both parties treated the other as they ought. And so the servants, or today maybe a modern application would be the employee, the mandate is to obey in all things. And the master-servant relationship in the ancient world was not necessarily the horrific slavery that we picture in our western minds because of the blight of slavery in our own country but it's like that employee employer and and I think this mandate is comprehensive. Obey all things both the desirable and the undesirable tasks and as a new creature in Christ a servant was to obey even if it wasn't in his job description Obey not for the approval of his human master, but for the approval of his heavenly Lord, which gives us the motivation there in verse 23. You serve the Lord. When you're on the job, when you're in the workplace, know that your time and your labor is not for the company, but it's for the the Christ. Lord of your life. And it gives us a totally new perspective on what we do. For we're the new man. We're risen with Christ and we're looking for our heavenly reward. Masters, maybe you are a master here this morning. An employer, a boss, a supervisor, manager, etc. Chapter 4 verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The mandate, be just and fair. Give your employees what they deserve for the service rendered. Don't cheat them, don't con them, don't take advantage of them. Don't be a proverbial Scrooge. Maybe you are one. Maybe you work for one. (laughs) But to develop a right relationship, you must be just and fair. And what's the motivation? Maybe the company won't realize as much profits. The motivation is because we all have a master. And that master will judge the earthly master who mistreats his slaves. And even if you are the CEO, the sole proprietor, the owner, even if you are the boss man, you will answer someday to your Lord and your master. And folks, as, as each of us participate in one or more of these relationships, God's ideal for us is for right relationships. And this is what the, the risen life in Christ looks like. And so you ask, Pastor, what do we do with all the theology and the philosophy and the, the Christian categories and the biblical it's, it looks like this. This is where the rubber meets the Lord. You, you say, but pastor, what type of sermon is this? Th- there, this? This was just a shadow meddling and rambling of a message. I, when, when I come to church, I want doctrine. The word doctrine simply means teaching. And I submit to you that this is doctrine. This is real life practical doctrine doctrine calling us to right relationships as God intended them to be. But there's one relationship that we didn't cover this morning. And it's the most important relationship of all, of course. And that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. Here is the secret sauce to all of this. If you are not walking in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will suffer and you will struggle in your human relationships in the home and on the job. Your horizontal relationships will be directly impacted by your vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. First, by faith in salvation. Then by faith in obedience to his precepts and, and principles. Don't imagine for a moment that you can live in hostility with one another and claim to be right with the Lord or claim to be right with the Lord and live in hostility to one another. I would cite First John chapters one and, and two. And so as you go from this place this morning and you think about the other, you're a parent, you're thinking about your kid, you're a husband, you're thinking about your wife, you're an employee, you're thinking about your master and how they need to correct, don't do that. But think about how before the Lord we might have right relationships and pursue that relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven. We confess, we concede that we make a mess of relationships in this life. God, we ask that you will forgive us. We ask that you will humble us. We ask that you would help us to remember that we have died and been raised with Christ. Therefore, we put off and we put on and we conduct ourselves in, in these right ways. Lord, may our focus, may our vision be always upward. Give us a right view of God. Give us a right submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. May we walk in the spirits and then, Lord, bless us with right relationships, I pray.